So sometimes we start a sermon with an illustration, right? Uh, Brother Dan does pretty much every week. I would usually tell you a story, but the whole sermon text this morning from the scripture is a sermon illustration. So we're just going to let the text take us where it takes us today, okay? Um, I just received a text from Joe Yarbrough that uh, the Disciple Now kids will be here uh, about 11.30, so about the time the service ends, don't forget to go pick up your teenagers uh, from the D-lobby, um, or maybe forget to pick them up, go have lunch, and then come back and get them or something, I don't know. They've had a, a, a fantastic weekend, by the way. All right, let's look together at Matthew 13. We're going to start in verse 1. We're reminded as we look here that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's look at it together. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together. God, we pray that we would see from the truth of your word this morning what you want us to do with it. To trust in you as we sow the seeds of the gospel everywhere we go. Lord, don't let your word return void in our hearts, but use it to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's look at the context of what's happening in this story. I want you to to picture it with me. It opens with, there in chapter 13, that same day. All right, so what day was it? Well, Jesus had been teaching uh, in the countryside, um, and he had started to attract lots of uh, attention. He had crowds growing around him. He'd been healing people, and uh, so everybody wanted to come and see what Jesus was up to, who was this guy uh, that, was, um, that was teaching and healing. Uh, and the Pharisees and religious leaders were really mad at him for this. Because he was undermining their spiritual authority uh, over the people. They really did not like what he was doing. He'd been healing people on the Sabbath, and that was a big no-no. And so in this crowd of people that have kind of gathered around Jesus, you've got people who love him and want to see more of him, and you've got people who want him dead. People who are scared of him. People who wish him ill. And so he needs to put a little distance between all of that and himself. His, uh, in, right in the previous passage, we see that his mom and his brothers had been warning him that maybe his life was going to be in danger, as if he didn't know that already. But 
they, they were warning him, hey, you're around these crowds all the time. Do you really have to go back out and teach them again? Well, he did. So he went down to the beach, and the crowd followed him there, and they were pressing in from every side. So he gets out on a boat, and he sits down. He floats out, uh, uh, and he sits down to, to teach, and it's a perfect amphitheater, right? So in front of him, uh, they, he didn't have a microphone, um, but in front of him, he had the water, that went up to the beach. The people are gathered on the beach and he's kind of got whatever uh, mountain or land behind them that kind of made an amphitheater. They could hear what he was saying. They could hear with their ears, but they might not have been able to hear with their hearts. What he was doing was teaching in a parable. Now, a parable is just a sermon illustration. Uh, It's a Jesus perfect sermon illustration. Matthew 13 is uh, is full of them. It's a series of parables, actually, where Jesus uses the stories to help reveal the kingdom of God or to conceal it from those who wished him ill. All right? Um, the Holy Spirit would have been working in the hearts of the people on the beach there And so some of them could understand what Jesus was saying. And that's what he means when he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Some of the folks could could understand what he was saying. And some of them just thought that he was a crazy hippie telling riddles. Because without without the, the explanation of both Jesus and the spirit in our hearts, it's hard to understand where he might be driving with the parable of the sower. Those who had ears to hear really understood what Jesus meant. Remember, the conventional wisdom of this day was that uh, the Messiah was going to sweep in. He was going to be uh, powerful and a great leader, and he was going to win all the battles and defeat all their enemies and uh, cast the Romans right out of Judea. No more. Israel would be restored to its prominent place once again. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He wasn't the Messiah of their expectations. He used the parables to convey that to them. He wanted them to understand what the kingdom of God was really like. Now this series of messages that we're in, Brother Dan, uh, will continue next week, we hope. Um, in this series of messages, we're talking about truths about the kingdom of God revealed in the parables as we lead up to Jesus' crucifixion and Easter. Now, Jesus explained things with concepts that uh, these folks in first century Palestine would understand. Many were farmers. They were related to the produce trade in some way. So they would get this story in ways that we, in our 21st century American context, might not. You might have even heard this parable uh, taught several times uh, if you've been in church for a while. It's not unfamiliar to us. And there are many different applications of the word. But the primary point for today, for this passage, for us, is that God is sovereign and we are responsible. Many books have been written about that that, uh, very principle, that God, the creator of the universe, all that is, is omnipotent and omniscient, 
and has an inexhaustible list of choices, things that he can do. He is sovereign. We are responsible to work within his sovereignty, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So in the first nine verses here, we see four characters. You got the sower, who we'll learn in just a minute is Jesus, the seed, the soil, and the fruit. Let's take them uh, one at a time. Uh, In that day, there probably wasn't any bioengineered seed. No GMOs, right? All the clean eating. No fertilizers, but the natural ones, all right? So the things we know today about seed back then was that there was a whole lot of bad seed inside the good seed. And so farmers would, would scatter it everywhere. The bad seed to good seed ratio, according to one uh, source that I read, was, is like 10 to 1. All, 10 to 1 bad, 1 good. So the, the farmer would just scatter it everywhere not knowing where it might take root, but hoping that some of it would. Folks in uh, in the first century had actually gotten pretty good at getting water to their crops, but they had no control over the quality of the seed. They also had no control over the soil. Sometimes you could uh, get seed to grow and sometimes not. I remember when... uh, when we lived in southwest Florida, the grass in the front yard was Floritam, big wide green blades, beautiful, uh, beautiful grass, grows in the south Florida sand, does not grow in West Kentucky, right? It's just not designed for here. The, uh, right up here, the fields that are next to the wreck fields up there, we, a couple of years ago, we tore down a couple of houses and, um, we basically just pushed dirt up there, and we've tried a couple of times to seed it, but we didn't really spend the time and effort to prepare the soil, and nothing grows there because it, it's just nothing's going to grow in that soil until we do something about it. Then there's the fruit. Now, if you were fortunate enough to have a plot of land to farm in uh, the Judean hills in AD 33, you would know about how much crop you could expect your fields to grow, your fields to yield, if you were doing all the farming yourself, right? So we've got uh, seed and soil and fruit. Now the sower, I said just a minute ago, was Jesus. It doesn't say that in these uh, first nine verses, But two parables down, later in Matthew 13, we see that Jesus is the sower in that passage. So we can infer that he is the the main character in his own story here, too. Now, Jesus is not today walking among us physically on the earth anymore. But he did tell us before he left that we would be his hands and feet. We would be his witnesses in all the earth. So then, who might it be that is also the sower in these passages? I am, you are, we are together, the sower that Jesus is talking about here. 
Jesus was sowing the truth of God's Word when He was standing in front of the crowd. Today, we sow the truth of God's Word by teaching it faithfully and sharing the good news with others. Not just from the platform at church, but in our lives. You have relationships with folks who need to hear what Jesus has done for them. If you know enough to be saved yourself, you know enough to be able to tell somebody what he has done for you. It's our responsibility to sow the seed of the gospel. And so what is the seed? Well, it's the good news about Jesus and his eternal kingdom, how a person can be redeemed and set free from punishment for sin if you trust in Jesus for salvation. Just like the seed and the, or uh, just like the soil and the fruit, we didn't invent the seed either. We didn't invent the gospel message. We didn't invent salvation ourselves. Could you imagine how that would go if we were up to, to deciding how we should be saved? God has given us the plan of salvation and a way to be saved. And right here in his infallible, inerrant word. The seed of the gospel is his. It's his design. So how about the soils? The hearts of the hearer. Whenever the gospel seed is cast, the person who receives it has to deal with it in some way. But we don't know when we sow it, because we're not Jesus, we don't know what's going on in the mind or the heart of the person who hears it. The Bible tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to someone who has never believed. Ezekiel 11 tells us in prophecy about how the Messiah's salvation would work, he tells us that we have hearts of stone without the Holy Spirit working there to make it possible for us to understand and believe. So we can't change the soils in other people's heart. We can't control the weather. God is sovereign over all those things. What about the fruit? Verse 8 tells us some of the fruit doesn't grow very much, and some is a a bumper crop. The fruit is the result of the gospel taking hold of the heart of the hearer and converting him from death to life, for taking her as she repents and turning her life around as she believes. The gospel seed empowers all of us for living Christian lives in a world that is at war with God. But there's nothing I can do to get you to bear fruit. There's nothing you can do to get someone else to bear fruit. God is sovereign over that too. I can tell you that if you never hear the gospel, you won't bear any fruit at all. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We are responsible to make sure that people hear. 
Now, the, the Bible, I've mentioned it before, it's full of all kinds of different agrarian uh, farming type imagery, right? Sheep and shepherds and figs and fig trees and a land of milk and honey, because people then could understand that. You plant seed, you water the ground, it bears fruit. But you're not responsible for the seed, the land, the soil, or the weather. And you're not responsible for the fruit either. Sowing is the only thing in this parable for which we are responsible. God is sovereign over the rest. And that's the parable of the sower. That is your sermon on evangelism, right? We are responsible to sow, and Jesus has the rest. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus sails away. So later, the disciples come back to Jesus and say, What did you mean by that? What was that story you told? That didn't make any sense. Jesus then quotes Isaiah 6 for them. And then as we see in verse 16, he tells them, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. So Jesus was talking about sowing seeds of the gospel. There is no way we can get away from the application of our needing to be careful to sow seeds of the gospel everywhere. We're responsible for that. But then we're also responsible for the next part as it applies to us. Matthew 13, verses 16 through 18. Or uh, 18 through uh, 23. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So if we are doing what uh, Jesus has, has told us there that we're responsible for, for sowing the seed of the gospel, we can expect the the seed to fall on four types of hearts. First one we see here is the hard heart. The hard heart. Some people just aren't going to get it. These are the ones where the seeds were tossed on the earth or or on the path, the sidewalk. Nothing's going to grow in the concrete there, right? Just like the birds come and take away the seed. The enemy takes away the ability to, uh, for the seed to, to take root. That was the seeds from the birds laid off the path. Nothing grew. In addition to the hard heart, we see there the superficial heart. Others are the rocky soil. Now, a a good farmer, if his soil is rocky, 
He's going to get all of those rocks that he can see out of the way. So Jesus there is talking about rocks under a, a good layer of dirt, the stuff that you can't always see. I think many folks who fill the pews of our churches today are rocky soil. They hear the gospel and respond. And Jesus says, even with joy, but the seed never takes root. And when things get tough, they're out. We don't really understand tribulation or persecution here in the 21st century United States. We might one day, but we don't right now. Jesus says, on account of the word, because of the faith in Jesus, the tribulation comes. And because there's no root, it, the hearer falls away. Some folks are just going to roll over and fall away when tribulation or persecution comes. Some folks already have. Some people who professed faith in Jesus have given up the truth. Romans 1 tells us they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Some churches, some whole denominations of churches, never rooted the infallibility and inerrancy and sufficiency of the word of God deep into their own identity when the winds of change in the culture have, have come. They've just blown them away. Poof, in the wind. Never to bear fruit again. Now, when Jesus says there that the seed on the rocky, superficial soil falls away, he is talking about people who were never saved. They looked saved. They may have even sounded saved. But these will be the hearts of those who stand before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. The superficial heart was never saved. I know that because the Bible teaches in other places and therefore we believe in eternal security. The last, book of the, verse, or the last verse of the book of Jude says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, he does the keeping. He holds you in his hand. If you, are, if you have trusted in Christ for salvation and you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, there is nothing that could ever happen to you that will snatch you away from God the Father. Jesus has said so in uh, 1 John 2. Jesus said so in John 10. John wrote in 1 John 2, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they, are, they all are not of us. He wrote that in, in describing people who fell away from the faith. If you are in the faith, the Lord himself by his own power and his own sovereignty holds you there. And he cannot let you go. Adrian Rogers, a famous Baptist preacher, pastor of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis for a long time, said it this way. The faith that fizzles before the finish was never faith from the first. Those with a superficial heart aren't saved. They're not Christians. A superficial heart is related to the divided heart. That's the third one, the divided heart, the thorny soil. This is the one who hears the word and receives it, 
but the stuff of the world, money or family, whatever idols we construct in our minds and hearts that are in addition to the work of the Word of God there, just kind of chokes out the things of God. Like a, a weed that grows up with, it's kind of a little thorny weed that grows up in the good uh, bushes in your flower bed at home. Eventually, if you don't cut that weed out of there, eventually it's going to choke out the good stuff. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And I, I think that that's a bit of a warning to us as 21st century Christians as well. This culture where we have relative ease ourselves that we don't know persecution or um, by comparison to the rest of the world, we don't know poverty. The it says the deceitfulness of riches. The thing about this divided heart type of soil is that sometimes you don't realize that the stuff that's in there with the word is choking it out. Eventually it overtakes us. Then Jesus speaks of the good soil, the fruitful heart. The good soil with the, the seed of the gospel takes root and grows deep and bears fruit. And the Spirit brings about growth in your life and you serve Him faithfully and you want to avoid sin and you want to live for Him faithfully when your life is bearing fruit. But you have to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us the Spirit produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those are the fruit born by the faithful life in Jesus Christ. So the question for us this morning as a result of this passage is, what kind of hearts do we have? Are you rejecting the message of the kingdom? Did you make a decision years ago that today has no meaning in your life? Did you pray a prayer that you thought you meant then that means nothing today? If that's you, I urge you to receive the good news of the kingdom today. Let the kindness of God lead you to repentance today. By his mercy, soften your heart toward him today. Now, from earlier, what's the thing we're responsible for? Sowing the seed. One of the ways that the, we bear the fruit of the kingdom in our own hearts is to sow the good news of the gospel in the lives of others. Here Jesus in this passage telling the disciples and us to keep sowing the seed of the kingdom by spreading the message of salvation. Do you have wayward or rebellious children? Maybe a spouse who is apathetic to the, the gospel? Maybe a, a friend or a co-worker who knows what you believe, but they don't care. Don't give up casting the good seed of the gospel in their lives. Hope and pray and trust that the Lord of the harvest will bring about the fruit of the gospel. We're also responsible then for evaluating our own hearts. 
Are we bearing fruit that is visible to others? Are we bearing fruit that's invisible to others? When I say invisible, I mean when nobody's around, when nobody's looking. Are we bearing the fruit of the Spirit in our own hearts? Are we allowing other things to choke out the work of the Word? So this morning, maybe you've heard this a thousand times, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time. Maybe you're hearing none of this makes sense to you. Here's what you need to know about God and His kingdom. We're believers in His work to save us. And we're allowing Him to reign in our hearts as King. God created everything to be perfect. By His sovereign choice, everything that He created, including Adam and Eve, were perfect. And then Adam and Eve chose to sin. And by their sin, that sin broke everything else apart. And it would never leave. But by His grace, because He loved us so much, God sent Jesus, His only Son, who died to take the punishment that we deserve for the sin that we have in our hearts. He died to take that punishment that we wouldn't have to pay it forever. That we would be able to be with Him forever in eternal rest in a place called heaven. But that's only available to us if we respond in repentance and in faith. Repentance. We turn 180 degrees from the way we were going and go in the opposite direction toward Jesus and not away from him. Faith believing that what he did was enough to save us. That his work is all that we can depend on to be saved. We trust him by repentance and faith. If today you've been thinking, well, I've never done that. I've never trusted Jesus by repentance and faith. Today can be the day of salvation for you. you We'll have ministers down here in just a minute. If you need to talk with one of us about any spiritual question that you have or about joining this church or about uh, being baptized or about being saved, we would love to talk with you about that in just a minute when we sing. If you're watching online this morning and you want, have questions about any of, anything that you've heard this morning, just text us. Text the word TODAY to 270-398-5005. Text TODAY and a minister will call you TODAY and we'll talk about it. For those of us in the room, as we sing in just a minute, pray and evaluate your own heart. What is the condition of it? Is it divided between God and something else? Is it superficial? If things got tough for you today, where would your faith be? Or is it bearing fruit in your life? Let's stand together and pray. Father, in, the, in this moment we ask that you would show us what our own hearts are like. Without you, they're pretty dark, terrible places. We confess that there's no way we could have our heart cleansed but by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I pray that would be real and 
fresh to us this morning as we consider what our hearts are like and whether we're bearing fruit visible and invisible. Father, for the one who has come this morning and has not yet trusted in you, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. That the truth of your word would be real in their hearts for the first time. And for the rest of us, we pray that the truth of your word would be real in our hearts from now till all time. Guide this time of response and do with it what you want to. In Jesus' name, amen.